Good morning, and welcome to the Word of Life Radio Bible Study, presented by the Southwest Church of Christ, Austin, Texas. Holding forth the Word of Life to present all people perfect in Jesus Christ. And now your host, Cody Westbrook. Good morning and welcome to the Word of Life Radio Bible Study brought to you by the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. I'm Cody Westbrook, your host and preacher for the Southwest Congregation. This morning we'd like to talk about the Church of Christ as the body of Christ. And so I want to direct your attention as we begin to Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse number 19. We find ourselves in Ephesians 1:19 in the midst of the apostle Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. And in this particular prayer, it is a prayer of knowledge, meaning he's praying that they will come to know a little bit more about different subjects. And one of the things that he wants them to know more about verse 19 is the exceeding greatness of his power. Let's read beginning in verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There are a number of different word pictures that the Bible will use to describe the church. And one of those word pictures is a body or the body of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14 and reading through verse 18, we find another section in which Paul describes the church as a body. This is what he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and following, Paul says that the greatest display of the magnificent power of God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and his ascension into heaven to sit down at the throne at the right hand of God, God having placed all things under his feet and given him all authority, and made him head over all things to the church which is his body. Notice the church is defined as his body, the body of Jesus Christ. And of course that makes sense because the Bible says that Jesus purchased the church with his blood. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. And remember last week, from Ephesians 1 verse 7, we talked about the church as the purchased possession. We talked about redemption and how Jesus died to buy back the church, to purchase it with his blood. And so it would make sense then, wouldn't it, that Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18, and Jesus purchased the church with his blood. It's his church bought with his blood, and therefore it is his body. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins to describe a purpose. He puts a a purpose statement, if you will, 
with the church being the body of Christ which is purchased by his blood. He is talking about Jew and Gentile in Ephesians 2 verse 14 and following. And what he's telling us in this context is that God's purpose from eternity, when Jesus died on the cross, the purpose for that death was to be able to make peace, verse number 15, from the two. And the two he's talking about is Jew and Gentile. And he says Jew and Gentile are reconciled both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That is to say that being reconciled to God, that is the relationship that is damaged by sin, when we're reconciled to God, that relationship is repaired. We are literally made friends again with God, if you will. And Paul says that's made possible through the cross. And Paul says that in that reconciliation, that Jew and Gentile are reconciled both to God in one body. And that one body is the church of Jesus Christ. Well, there's another passage in Ephesians that Paul will, where Paul will describe the church as a body as well. And that's Ephesians 4 and verse 4. And notice what he says. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself a question. How many gods are there? There's only one. How many saviors are there? How many Christs are there? There's only one. And so wouldn't it make sense, since there's only one God, and there's only one Christ, and he died on the cross, and he shed his blood to purchase his church, which is his body, that there would only be one body. Well, of course it makes sense. Paul says it in Ephesians 4.4, there's only one body, and he'll go on to say that that one body is governed by one Lord and one faith. The word faith has to do with teaching. It has to do with a system of doctrine. It's talking about the New Testament. Notice, Jesus is only one. There's only one Christ. And he died on the cross to purchase his church. There's only one. Which is his body. There's only one. And he did this so that Jew and Gentile might be reconciled both to God in that one body, Ephesians 2.16. And so there's only one body, Ephesians 4.4, and it's governed by only one system of teaching, Ephesians 4 and verse 5. All of this together, all of this goes together so logically. Imagine what the situation would be if Christ Jesus had died to purchase more than one body. And if Christ Jesus, having died to purchase more than one body, allowed his multiple bodies to be governed by multiple systems of belief and practice, it would be chaos. Imagine living in a country in which there were a multitude of different systems of law that applied to uh, different people, and you could just choose whichever law you wanted to follow on whatever day, and everything would be okay. Imagine the chaos that would ensue in society if everyone was able simply to choose whatever law it was that they wanted to follow. Now, you stop and think about that for a moment, and it sounds um, ridiculous, but then take just a moment and think about the world of denominationalism. Isn't it true that denominationalism is the spiritual equivalent of everything that we just described? 
We might think that it would be ridiculous to live in a society in which everybody was able to choose whatever law they wanted to follow on whatever day, but in denominationalism. Denominationalism is composed of religious bodies that are all divided, and they all have their own doctrine, and they all have their own practice, and they all have their own belief and teaching. And people are able to basically choose whichever one of those doctrines and beliefs and practices and teaching that they want to follow. That's the spiritual equivalent of what we just described with a country who tells its people, you choose whatever laws you want to follow. And that doesn't make any sense. That is spiritual chaos. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 10, I beseech you to all be of the same mind and of the same judgment and all speak the same thing. Jesus died on the cross to purchase his church, which is his body, and he only has one body. And his body is governed by only one faith, by only one system of teaching, Ephesians 4 and verse number 5. And the reason why that's the case is because it would be impossible for us to all be unified in the one body without one consistent standard and system of teaching and doctrine that applied to all people in all places for all time. But there's one more passage that we need to consider, Ephesians 5, verse 23. Listen to what Paul said about, about the body in Ephesians 5, 23. Paul said, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And notice this, he is the Savior of the body. So Jesus only has one body. That body is governed by only one system of teaching. And Jesus is the Savior of only his body. Notice how these passages all flow together. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Ephesians 2, verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 4 and 5. Ephesians 5, verse number 23. So the church is the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Jesus Christ, which is governed only by the doctrine of Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ, which is his body, which is governed by the doctrine of Christ, he died on the cross and shed his blood in order to purchase that body, in order to purchase that church. And Ephesians 5.23 says that Jesus will save only that body. So now there's only one question left to ask, and that is, well, how can I be a member of that body? What do I need to do in order to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ that's governed only by His will, His teaching, His doctrine, that is unified and that glorifies God, Ephesians 3 and verse 21, and that Jesus is going to save? Well, the answer is that God has outlined a very simple plan for man's salvation, and it's found in the pages of New Testament Scripture. The Bible teaches us that the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to hear the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? In the same chapter, in verse 17, the scripture will say that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What has to happen in order for a person to be saved, in order for a person to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ, is that they first have to hear God's Word. And the reason why we have to hear God's Word is because it develops faith within us, according to Romans 10.17. But another reason is because when we hear God's Word, it pricks our hearts, and it lets us know that we're lost in our sin and that we need to do something about it. Acts 2 verse 37. The Scripture says that when those Jews on Pentecost heard 
this. When they heard the preaching of Peter and the apostles, they were pricked in their heart, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do to be right with God? What do we need to do in order to be a member of the body of Christ Jesus? That's the question that they're asking. The second thing that the Bible says we have to do is that we have to believe. Jesus said in John 8 verse 24, whoever does not believe in me will die in their sins. In Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus connects belief with baptism when he says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. And in Hebrews eleven six, 6, the Bible says that without faith it is impossible to please him. You cannot go to heaven without believing in Jesus Christ, without believing about uh, in what the Bible says about Jesus and about the church and about God's will for our lives and how he wants us to live. You can't be saved without faith. But James 2.17 says that faith alone, that that is useless. In fact, the Bible says that faith alone is dead. So it's not just about hearing and believing. There are other things that the Bible says that we have to do. Another thing the Bible says that we have to do is that we have to repent of our sins. Jesus said, if you you don't repent, you'll perish, Luke 13, verse 3. In Acts 2, verse 38, the Bible conjoins repentance and baptism. The Bible says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 3, verse 19, Peter said, Repent or perish. Now the question is, what is repentance? Sometimes people think about repentance as um, being sorry. Like if I say that I'm sorry for what I've done, then that's repentance. And it's true that repentance involves sorrow, but it's more than that. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 9. The Bible says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice in these three verses that the Apostle Paul is describing repentance. He lists a number of sinful lifestyles in verse 9 and 10, and then in verse number 11 he says, you were these things. But what he means is, you're not anymore. You've stopped. You've stopped practicing these things. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And so when we repent of our sins, we're changing the way that we live. We're turning away from our sins, and we're turning to God. The Bible teaches us that in order to be saved, in order to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ, we've got to repent. But we also need to confess. Now, we're not talking about confessing sins here. We're talking about confessing faith in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, um, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe uh, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul would describe this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12 and 13 as the good confession. And we see this illustrated in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 37 and following. When the eunuch uh, came to to, uh, water and asked Philip, Here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, then you may. And he said, I do. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the good confession. 
And once we hear God's Word and it develops a faith within us and convicts us of our sin, and when we believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and in what the Bible teaches, and when we're willing to repent of our sins and confess our faith, then we're ready to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of our sins. The Bible says baptism saves, 1 Peter 3.21. The Bible says that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 verse 38. And Paul was asked in Acts 22.16, What are you waiting for? Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, we started this study by talking about the church being the body of Christ. We're talking about how the church is the body of Christ that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ and it's governed by one system of faith and practice and Jesus is only going to save that one body. What does that have to do with hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized? Would you look with me in your Bibles at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27 and we'll let the Bible answer the question. The Bible says, For you are all sons of God, Galatians 3.26, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How do we, put on, how do we uh, arrive into Christ, according to Galatians 3.27, by being baptized into Christ? In Acts 2 and verse 47, the Bible says this, That the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And in Colossians 2 and verse number 12, we read that we are buried with Him uh, by baptism, uh, wherein we are raised with Him uh, through faith in the operation of God. And then the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 8 that those in Samaria, when they believed the things that Philip preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. You see, when we're baptized, God works according to Colossians 2.12. And what he does is he washes away our sins with the blood of Jesus, number one. But number two, he adds us to the body of Jesus Christ. That's Acts 2.47. That's Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We're baptized into Christ. That's Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans believing the things concerning the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us that Jesus died to purchase the church. The Bible teaches us that, uh, that uh, the church is the body and that Jesus only has one body, that all people are reconciled to God in that body and that that body is governed by one system of doctrine and teaching and that Jesus is only going to save that body and the way that we become members of that body is by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. The Bible also tells us about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul deals with some problems in that congregation. In that chapter, he talks about the fact that God has designed the body of Christ to function in a way that is pleasing to him. That's 1 Corinthians 12:18. The Bible also tells us in that chapter that each member of the body has value and each member should be valued. That's 1 Corinthians 12 verse 21 to 24. The Bible teaches us that the body is designed to promote unity and care, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25 and 26. The Bible tells us that in the body of Jesus Christ, that everyone is important and that everyone should work and that everyone should serve. And listen, God's desire, according to 2 Peter 3, verse 9, is that not one single person is lost, but that every soul comes to repentance. God wants everyone to be a member of the body of Jesus Christ. And God has made it possible for everyone to obey the gospel and to be a member of the body of Christ Jesus. The only thing 
The only question, rather, is whether or not I am willing to obey the gospel as it's outlined in Scripture and to be added by the Lord to the body of Jesus Christ. What about you? Are you a member of the body of Jesus Christ? If not, why not? Do you have questions about the, about the body of Christ, about the church of Jesus Christ? Can we help you? Can we open up your Bible and ours and study together what the Word of God says about the body and about how we're added to the body and about how the body is to function and how we're to live as Christians? We'd love the opportunity to be able to study with you. Well, we've reached the end of our program, and it may be that you do have questions or you'd like to study with us. We want to encourage you to contact us. Our contact information and our location and our worship times will be provided momentarily. We want you to come worship with us at the Southwest Congregation if you have opportunity. We want you to study the Bible with us if you'd like. Ask us any questions that you may have. And we also do want to remind you that the time uh, for the Word of Life Radio Bible Study to come to an end is rapidly approaching. At the end of this year, we will transition from the Word of Life Radio Bible Study to the Word of Life Podcast. And so if you haven't already, please log on to our website, www.swcfc.org, and you'll be able to find a link to that podcast on our website. And so we want to encourage you after the first of the year to do just that. Again, thank you for being with us today. Please come back and be with us again next week, Lord willing, as we open up God's Word and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. Thank you for joining us today on the Word of Life Radio Bible Study. You're cordially invited to join us at the Southwest Church of Christ for Bible class this morning at 9.30, worship at 10.30, and again at 6 this evening. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesday evening for Bible class. If you would like to have a copy of today's program, please write or call us. We're located at 8900 Manchac Road, Austin, Texas, 78748. You can call us at 512-282-2486 or find us on the web at www.swcofc.org. We hope you will join us again next Sunday morning as we continue our study of God's Word.